Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Every week we break down all the big blues news in the company of The Athletic's Chelsea experts. Today we'll reflect on the weekend thumping of Sheffield United, check in on the women's team and answer your questions. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, welcome in listener Matt Davis-Adams here, joined by The Athletic's Chelsea Brains. Liam Toomey's here. Hi, Liam. Hello. And Simon Johnson. Greetings. And Dominic Fifield. Um, Dom, I, I want to start off with you telling us a bit a, a bit about the piece you've written for The Athletic regarding junior football being being halted during lockdown too, because I know it's something that you're passionate about. Yeah, well, I'm passionate. I'm also devastated. I'm, I'm devastated on the on the kids' behalf, the, the boys and girls who are missing out on on playing youth football at the moment at grassroots level as a result of the the government's um, new COVID restrictions. I know it's only for a month, technically, but I don't think anyone actually believes it's going to be for just a month. I suspect it will extend well towards Christmas and then realistically into the new year as well. I just think it's going to have a, a massive effect on the the mental health of the boys and girls, to be honest, not, not as well as their physical health. It's... It's something that got me really worked up last week. I am a, I'm biased. I'm a manager of an under twelves team, and I've I've watched the boys in that team come out of their shells. Um, a lot of them were affected by the first lockdown. A lot of them f- went very insular in that period and found it very difficult. Um, and in the last few weeks and months, we've we've seen those kids develop. Their charisma has come through. Their their personalities have come through. Their characters. And they were flying. They were they were really enjoying expressing themselves on a football pitch, whether that be in training, which is realistically what I would love to have seen um, retained under the new within the the COVID restrictions, and in games as well. Um, and I'm gutted. I know all the parents in the team are gutted. The club is struggling to to comprehend it all and. I think it's just going to have a massive effect. I mean, up and down the country, it's 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 devastating news at grassroots level. Yeah, we, we kind of think about it not really affecting Chelsea, which is our primary focus on this show, but it is, of course, having a massive effect on, on football up and down the country at, at various levels. Uh, you can read that piece by Dom by going to The Athletic now. And if you're not a subscriber, head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod and you can sign up for just a pound a week. Okay, we'll start today's show by reflecting on Saturday's come-from-behind win against Sheffield United at Stamford Bridge. So, Chelsea finally conceded a goal on Saturday. Not that it mattered too much as the Blues quickly cancelled out David McGoldrick's early opener. Abraham and Chilwell had them ahead at half-time before Silva and Werner added further goals after the break. Um, Simon, are Chelsea going to win the league? What is there that's going to prevent them from doing so, do you think? Yeah, get the party started, so... <laughs> 
Told you so. No, I mean, there, there's, there's, well, Liverpool, for one thing, um, can get in the way. I, I also think um, they're a Thiago Silva injury away from there being concerns about the defence um, again, um, because, yes, Mendy would still be there and, and Ben Chilwell, but I just think Silva is the glue that, that holds it all together back there. But, no, there, there, there are good reasons to be excited about what's happening right now. Now the new signings are playing. I, I told you all to be patient, um, to wait for the new signings to all start playing together before you judge this team and, and, and look what we're seeing. Um, it's it's not just a team that, that um, is getting results. It's the way they're playing. Um, the, there is a bit of a downer that the international break has come along. I remember about a year ago, uh, the November international break um, came at a bad time when Chelsea were on a winning run and then they came back and started losing games. So um, there's always that that concern in the back of your mind that history could repeat itself. But no, I mean, if you're Frank Lampard's given, he keeps saying it about the, the lack of pre-season, the injuries, the, the isolation that had to go on ahead of the start of the season when there was without 12 players to train with, etc. Um, that it would take time and, and he was being proved right because... Uh, Chelsea now look like a totally different outfit compared to one we saw at the start of the season. Liam, you were at the bridge for the Athletic on Saturday. Frank Lampard called it the most complete team performance of the season. Would you go along with that? Yeah, I certainly know what he was getting at. Obviously, they didn't start absolutely brilliantly with the with the goal. They got caught out by a short corner, uh, which was only even more evident when you looked at the replay and saw the miscommunication between Ziyech and Kante. Um, but I actually thought that was just quite good play from Sheffield United. I thought they started the game really well. Um, but there was a different vibe, I think, to this, to a lot of the games that Chelsea slipped up at um, at Stamford Bridge last season. You could see the way Chelsea were moving the ball. It was so much faster. It was with so much more purpose and with so much more variety. Um you know, when you've got Hakeem Ziyech and Rhys James on that right-hand side, the balance that they provide, you know, that I, I called it in my piece, like a, a precision barrage of crosses. They put in 11 between them. Um, and it's very, very difficult for teams to take away all those different crossing angles. And uh, I thought the midfield worked really well again. Mason Mount provided a really good, a really good balance. Uh, and Ben Chilwell... Is, is becoming a, a real goal threat at the back post. Uh, he was the subject of the match piece that I did with Simon after that game. There was just a real a real balance and a real variety to Chelsea's attack in a way that I think we didn't see in a lot of those in a lot of those home games last season. Ziek is absolutely key to that. And then when they do create the chances, they've got the firepower to put them away now. Yeah, Dom, let's talk a bit more about some individuals. I wanted to, to start with Ziyech he's only made a couple of appearances over the last few weeks or so after he's come back from injury but but he's almost undroppable at this point isn't he agreed absolutely outstanding I think there was there's a, there was an argument when you looked at the signings that Chelsea made uh, in forward areas this summer that, that Ziyech was always the likeliest to to hit the ground running um and this was this was before he suffered the unfortunate and untimely knee injury in that pre-season friendly at Brighton but Given that the Dutch league had finished in March and he had more time over here um, to to acclimatise and, and adapt to, to new surroundings, albeit in alien um, situation given COVID, etc. He, he and 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 his age as well, the experience that he's got, 
he looked as if he he would make an immediate impression and okay he was denied that by the injury but actually now now that he's 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 come into the team fully fit um he's been brilliant absolutely untouchable uh, he he has provided the, the key word that Liam used there balance balance is it's all about the balance in this team and and he's he's creating he's a, th- a threat a goal threat himself um that left foot is absolutely glorious um with with its delivery and whether it's firing away shots or or, or conjuring passes from deep he he's he's linking everybody up in that in those forward ranks and and providing a, a threat that that teams are at the moment are struggling to contain like it may be that they they learn and they they work out ways to to stop Ziyech playing but the reality is that Chelsea have got so many options across that front line that if they close if people close Ziyech down and, and double mark on him then others are going to have so much more space in which to to thrive so he, he's hugely exciting and and He's not the same player as Eden Hazard, but he could have the same galvanising effect on this team going forward. Dom, Dom, I'm just really sorry to say you are contractually obliged to call his left foot a wand. Oh, the I, I, used, I used that in a podcast this morning already, so I feel as if I've done my <laughs> wand contingent. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think of other alternatives to wand. That is literally all you get, isn't it? He's got a wand of a left foot. Or cultured. Simon could come up with one after his uh, cream experience. <laughs> Don't go down that road. Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Apply liberally. Uh, no, I, um, I, 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 all I wanted to add to the Ziyech uh, debate was I was a little bit mischievous. I was in a mischievous mood on Sunday night um, as Arsenal were were floundering against Aston Villa. I, I just put out, sent out a, a tweet going William or Ziyech. And inevitably, <laughs> it inevitably some didn't. Some got the joke, um, and many people didn't. <laughs> um, but I should explain that I wasn't being disrespectful to William or Ziesh. Uh, there was part of it was actually like a genuine thought was that if William had signed this contract, which um, which Chelsea had offered the two year deal, um, it. it it's kind of ended up being like it's worked out for the best for Chelsea in that I can only see William as being, if he'd stayed as being a useful backup member of the squad. And you certainly, um, I know it's early days at both clubs for, for both men, but it's certainly proving to be the right call that it's ended up being with, with Chelsea having Ziyech on the right flank rather than William now, because William was a tremendous servant for Chelsea for seven years, but there's no doubt about it that, that Ziyech... Um, adds a totally different dimension to what Chelsea had previously. While we're talking the front line for Chelsea, Simon, you've written for The Athletic about Tammy Abraham and, and Timo Werner. I feel like it's a perfect situation for Tammy at the moment. When Timo scores, when he's playing off the left, Abraham can say, hey, that's great, you keep playing there, you're doing really well, I'll, I'll play through the middle. <laughs> yeah, and look, I think I think Tammy's responding well to the challenge. He's, um, he's returned for... Um, providing some kind of either assist or a goal is very good for the minutes played um, at the start of the season and and sort of at the back in the last season. I think there was um, definitely an element of frustration about about things generally about his contract situation, the way he was pay, paid compared to other strikers, not just at Chelsea but in the league for what he's done in the Premier League. Um, undoubtedly, concerns about the effect that Werner would have on his playing role. But 
there's a lot of talk about like is Werner best suited down the middle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I I think what Abraham brings that Werner doesn't do is that traditional centre forward role of being able to hold the ball up, be it sort of actually interlink the play better. Werner, from what I've seen when he is down the middle, he's brilliant if the ball, right ball is played for him to run in behind defense, defences. But like we saw at Old Trafford when he was asked to lead the line, um, I didn't, don't think he did a good job of, of sort of interacting with his teammates very well and giving Chelsea an out ball. So the way Abraham's playing right now, even though Werner, you could argue, is a little bit out of the game on the left and there's a different scenario that Lampard left to answer once Pulisic is fit I do think it's very hard to drop Abraham right now he's playing well uh, lastly on the front three or attacking players at Chelsea's disposal at least Dom here's a question that's come to us from Sam via Twitter he says can you talk about Hudson Odoi he turned 20 this weekend and despite there being no Pulisic he didn't come off the bench it's it's been a popular topic for us these last few months but I was surprised that he didn't get any minutes at all on Saturday well, yeah, given that they had one more substitution that they could have used. Um, but I think this is just the reality of it, isn't it? With When, when you're in a in a, an elite club with this amount of, of options up top, I mean, Simon's mentioned Pulisic there coming in. They're, they're, he's going to be ahead of Hudson-Odoi, arguably, um, in the, you know, for a place in this, in this team. Werner operates off that left, which is where Hudson Odoi wants to be playing. I mean, it's it's a, an incredible array of, of of talent that has almost sprung up over at Chelsea over the last few months, and you know, at expense, obviously. But but I guess Hudson Odoi just has to bide his time, and and when the opportunities present themselves, he has to take them. I I, I was a Slightly surprised that he, he he didn't start the the Ren game last week. I think that was an opportunity for him to to start the match. I, I presume that from the for the rest of the, the group t- stage, now that Chelsea are, are so far ahead of of third place in the section, that Hudson Odoi will get the the starts and the game time in in that Champions League group. He only played fifteen minutes against Ren in the in the most comfortable of and, and sort of rather downbeat 3-0 home victories last week. Um, so you know, let's have to take those opportunities and show Lampard and demonstrate then that 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 he can he can thrive in those situations. And the other the other aspect of Hudson Odoi at the moment is the, the off-field stuff that he has to, he has to get his head he has to get his head right on that. He has to stop making mistakes um, and 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 being caught out on COVID restrictions etc. We know he's got the talent on the pitch, and he will eventually show that. But he he needs to be in favour. He needs to be have his the manager on side to want to select him. And and I just think it's a, it may be a factor playing in the in the background. Uh, Liam, for anybody who missed it, Dom alluded to the story involving Callum Hudson Odoi and Fakayo Tomori in the latest lockdown breach. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So basically, the story was that Tomori and Hudson Odoi had gone out for dinner, um, had gone out for a meal. I believe immediately prior um, or in the few days prior to the national lockdown being introduced when I think the, the government rules were that you were not allowed to meet with anyone outside your own household. Um, and the the sense from the conversations I've, I've had uh, since the story broke in the, in the national newspapers is that neither player was particularly clear on exactly what the rules were now they're 
professional footballers are functioning in in quite a, a unique environment in that they do have like a work bubble um and i think there was the i think there was the sense for both of them that because they were in the same work bubble it was fine equally it's not as if they were you know going out on the town uh, out till 3am they went out for some food i believe so i don't think it's a it's a massive issue um it was clearly a breach of the lockdown guidelines so not not great but uh, I, I don't get the the sense that chelsea see it as a big a big thing and i think everyone just kind of wants to move on from it uh, what i would say sort of just watching chelsea is like i'm not comparing i'm not saying they're as good as liverpool yet but there are certain similarities you have to say that for trent alexander arnold and and andy robson you've got uh, reese james and ben chilwell playing in a very similar style of aggressive fullback style. Um, for Van Dijk, you've got Thiago Silva. Okay, he's a bit older, but he's brought that similar kind of impact. For Alisson, you've got Mendy. Again, early days to make that comparison, but he's certainly made that kind of impact. And then you look at the, the, the sort of attacking options. So it, it's look, Chelsea aren't Liverpool yet, but put it this way, if this Chelsea team were taking on Liverpool now rather than the team that took them on in September, I think it'd be a far more interesting, more entertaining, more sort of um, harder game to call than the one that happened back then. It's amazing, isn't it? It's the 9th of November 2020 and Simon Johnson has categorically stated that Chelsea are better than Liverpool. <laughs> and are destined Steady. to win the Premier League title. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get spun now. <laughs> well, we'll see if Chelsea can maintain this excellent form. Four wins on the spin in all competitions, just one defeat all season too. Uh, next up is a trip to St James's Park to take on Newcastle United. That is on Saturday, the 21st of November, after the international break. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, we thought it would be a good time to focus on the women's team, given that they've been back in action this past week. First, they beat Spurs in the League Cup, and then on Sunday, they put four past Everton. Very pleased to say the Athletics women's football writer, Katie Wyatt, joins us now. Um, Katie, before we talk Chelsea specifically, can you tell us a bit about how the pandemic has affected women's football? Um, Yeah, it's been a really, really strange one. I think the vast majority of clubs got through the first lockdown fairly unscathed and we thought we were going to see a situation where loads of women's clubs would be shutting down or massively cutting their funding and you didn't seem to see that. I think the stranger one is that it's actually having more of an effect on the second lockdown. So we've seen um, WSL academies are not classed and regional talent centres are not classed as elite. Um, unlike the men's equivalents in the Premier League academy. So they're having to shut down and you're having a situation where a lot of girls um, at that level and in the academies, etc., are not being able to train when the boys can, for instance. And that, it's stuff like that that in the second lockdown is more um, prominent than it was in the first lockdown. 
and so it seems to be one that we're kind of constantly learning and that's constantly developing but certainly we got through the first sort of wave of covid we're a little bit more unscathed than a lot of us had predicted yeah that's good news and um, chelsea then third in the table three points off top spot with a game in hand how, how do you assess their start the, the, the win against everton on sunday maybe a little flattering in terms of the scoreline um, it's been quite a strange one because Emma Hayes, the Chelsea manager, has said this, that this is a team that are sort of not fully firing yet, which is a slightly terif- terrifying prospect when you see they still have been hammering quite a few teams. Um, but it is, I think, a team that you look at the quality of players in that squad with the likes of Sam Kerr, Peniel Harder, um, and even the players that she sort of, not I, will, I wouldn't use the word homegrown, but has kind of brought on in the last few years, like Erin Cuthbert and Bethany England, there's so much quality and talent there um, that this is probably has the potential to be one of the all-time great WSL teams in a real super team that she's assembling. Um, so by that measure, maybe she's right in saying they haven't started as well as they should have done. But I still think you look at the result against Everton on Saturday and the way that they were so accomplished and impressive against the team that um, are really pushing to break up that top three this season. It was a, a real marker of intent and I would be very surprised if they don't end up retaining the WSL title this year. You went through their Chelsea's attacking options and it really is incredible strength in depth that Emma Hayes has this season. But wanted to talk to you in particular about one of those players, Sam Kerr, who has had, it's fair to say, a few struggles in front of goal since arriving in English football. What what do you make of the way she's been performing? Yeah, I do think it surprised a lot of us. I think last season and her first few games of last season before, obviously the season was curtailed due to the pandemic, you saw a player that had the makings of a very impressive partnership with Beth in England and her movement and her positional range and the way that she was linking up with teammates was a, there was a lot to admire there that you assumed that she was going to build on this season and I think you've seen a little bit more staggered performances since then in the Charity Shield game at Wembley a lot of people would have watched that and seen her miss a lot of chances but I think the thing that Emma Hayes has sort of been parroting since then is that she's still getting into the right positions and the movement is there if not the execution so there's plenty to build on but I do think it's something that's quite surprising that a player of her calibre and someone who when she came in was one of the biggest signings in WSL history has not probably started better than she has doing but from Chelsea's perspective they're very lucky in that they're, they have the quality that she can start on the bench so she came off the bench on um Sunday, which is pretty staggering. There are not many teams in the world that would have a, a Ballon d'Or nominee just on the bench waiting to come off um, in men or women's football. So I think that for them, it's not a sort of super urgent pressing issue because they have a talent of Bethany England, of Peniel Harder, of so many other players that can um, play in very versatile ways and, uh, and that can allow Chelsea to be very versatile in their performance. So it, thankfully for them, it's not as pressing an issue as it, as it might have been if they'd kind of put all their eggs in one basket. But I think that it's certainly an area for concern and I think a lot of people will be surprised at maybe the fact that she's not got firing on all cylinders yet. Uh, on a related note, here's a question for, from Yarin who's tweeted us asking, is Chelsea's impressive squad the biggest threat for European giants, Leon? Um, the, the Champions League's long been, been a target that's, that's just been out of reach for English, mm. English clubs, hasn't it? Chelsea have got closer than most in, in recent years and, and you feel like that's what these big signings have been in part about in, in trying to bridge that gap between them and Leon. Definitely, yeah, I think he's absolutely right there. And Emma Hayes has said for the last few seasons that the Champions League has been the one thing that they've eluded her and that she really, really wants to win. Um, and I think when you look at the signs that they've made and 
the signings, I think, especially in comparison to a lot of other European clubs, there are not many that have stockpiled talent and have got the depth that Chelsea have got. And I think um, at a time when every year we have this debate of is Lyon's European dominance ending? Are they as good as the team they were last season? Are they losing their powers? And then they all sort of come out and, and prove that that's just the opposite. Um, but I think that it feels to me with this Chelsea side that exactly as the tweet said, that this is the best um, chance a club outside of that has of ending their um, stranglehold on the Champions League because it's just a team that really feels like a it's difficult to know if it's a once in a generation thing in women's football that we're never going to see a team with this many superstars at least on paper again or if it's moving towards this model where the top teams are able to stockpile talent in this way and even you see with Manchester City against in their game against Bristol on Sunday the players that they were able to bring off the bench are players that would be stars at the vast majority of women's clubs in the world so it's very hard to know whether this is a moment where we should think this is a once in a lifetime thing and we should really cherish what Chelsea are doing or if this is where we're heading and among the top three clubs in the WSL in particular but certainly in response to the tweet I would feel that this is the club in Europe that had the best chance of ending Leon's dominance uh, in the Champions League. Katie in our previous jobs um, you and I were invited along with Susie Rack, into Emma Hayes' office yeah, a couple I remember of years that. ago. Yeah, um, and, and spent about an hour with her as she was talking us through, using some fairly colourful language at times, yeah. uh, the, the, the challenges of, of taking on Leon in the, in the Champions League. I just wanted to get your impressions of, what, because you obviously cover women's football more generally, what, what do you think of um, Emma Hayes as a personality with kind of within the broader landscape of women's football because it feels like her strength of character has been such a key aspect of of Chelsea's rise in the in the last few years. I definitely yeah, and I think for her vision as well as strength of character that she I believe in that conversation that we were having with her was saying that a few years ago all she had in terms of resources was just a desk and a chair and kind of a back office at Chelsea and now she has a very their own sort of dedicated section of the training ground and all these resources available to them financial but also in terms of the support staff and the technical um, resources that they've got and things of that ilk um, so I think her vision to be able to sort of sell a, a women's football strategy to the board at a time when maybe not many other clubs were doing it and to execute that and have a very clear idea of what Chelsea need to be is a real real strength but I think her understanding and her willingness to be a spokesperson for the broader issues of the game is a real strength of hers and a strength of the game as well that she will come out and say oh women need more support with childcare or they need more support with the menstrual cycle or whatever particular issue it is I think having a player in that um, position who is willing, a manager in that position rather, who is willing to take on those issues and discuss them in a really frank manner is something that's always going to push the agenda forward because I think with women's football, especially around the major tournaments, we see the viewing figures, we see the talent on display and we say, oh, women's football's growing and growing and isn't in a great position and I think having someone like Anna Hayes who certainly has all the privileges and the financial backing of playing for Chelsea, he was able to say, oh yeah, but we still need this or we still need that or this isn't good enough or we're lacking in this or this is an area that's under-researched and who is really clued in on the broader sort of feminist, if you like, ideas that are connected to women's football as a massive strength for the league. And beyond that, I always think that she's just quite entertaining when you're in press conferences with her and if a question is too long or too wordy, she will sort of pull a face or... Uh, I don't want to say scares anyone down, but she's sort of, you don't really see that from any other WSL 
hotel managers, it's certainly a very different experience to um, what you have dealing with a lot of press conferences and everything. But she's a if she likes you and respects you, and she'll engage with the question and give very sort of interesting ideas. Like when we said last season, she was talking about um, the Continental Cup final was obviously played at the city ground, and her Brian Clough being one of her heroes, and her wanting to be a bit of a female Brian Clough type thing. And I think you can sort of see the makings of that, or certainly very similar traits to Brian Clough at times, and how she conducts herself and speaks and everything. So yeah, I think there's a lot to like about her on several levels, and with that reason, she's probably a personality that is very instrumental to growing the game, even beyond the stuff that she achieves on the pitch at Chelsea. Last question then, Katie, and it's Emma Hayes related. If she did manage to win the Champions League with Chelsea, do you think that she'd leave? Because she wouldn't really have anything else to to achieve at the club, would she? I've sort of wondered this without any kind of insider information or having asked anyone about this, but I did actually think about this yesterday, that is there a feeling, she always says that this, this Chelsea kind of has a heart and she wouldn't leave for any other women's club and but you think when she wins the Champions League that is as you were saying the last sort of trophy ticked off and I think the tantalising thing about staying there would certainly be that the players that she has got you'd be fairly mad to leave at a time when they could become really dominant and you're talking yes she's got every trophy but are you talking then trebles quadruples massive margins winning the league records things that would be very very wonderful achievements given the quality of other teams particularly in the top three top four in the WSL there's a real attraction to building a football club and Chelsea's women has sort of been something that she's been involved in building and really pushing along in the last few seasons and I think there's probably always going to be an attraction to staying there and seeing just how far that could go but she's always sort of said always been linked to the England job and said oh as long as you know Chelsea's interested at Chelsea that's kind of not on the agenda but you do wonder would that be a carrot or the question consistently of whether she will be the first women's manager to manage in the Premier League um, is always sort of raised and everything. So I do think that whatever she decides to do and wherever she looks in management come the day when she eventually does leave Chelsea, she will be successful at or there will be opportunities for her in that respect. Brilliant. Katie, thanks so much for joining us today. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Katie White there. Read her only in The Athletic. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, after the disappointment of defeat against Manchester City in the Youth Cup final last week, Ed Brand's under-18 sides got back to winning ways in style. They smashed eight past Leicester City at Cobham to earn an 8-1 win with the wonderfully named Jude Sunsup Bell grabbing four of those goals. And no such luck for the under-23s, though they were beaten 2-0 away to Everton on Sunday, meaning they dropped to third in the PL2 table. 
And that's just about it for this week. Before we go, though, Liam, tell us what you'll be writing this week for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. And also, can you give us a plug to the pod that you recorded for the Athletic's Next Big Thing series on a Chelsea starlet people might not be too familiar with? Sure. So I spoke to Ian McIntosh um, of Muddy Knees Media fame, now under the Athletic umbrella, uh, about Lewis Bate, uh, one of Chelsea's brightest young academy prospects. Central midfielder captained the team in that FA Youth Cup final that they lost to Manchester City and was name-checked by Ed Brand, who praised his character and personality after that game. So give that podcast a listen uh, when, you, when you get an opportunity. I've got a piece currently on the site uh, with Simon about Ben Chilwell and, uh, and his role, his expanded role in, in Chelsea's attacking system after that game against Sheffield United. So, so make sure you, you check that one out. And working this week towards trying to get a better understanding of what's happening with Callum Hudson-Odoi and his situation, his playing time. Uh, and I'm also putting together my big read on what's it like to play for Chelsea women. Uh, that pod that, that Liam mentions also features member of the Chelsea Twitterati at Chelsea Youth and former Chelsea Academy player Sam Parking. So do check it out. How about you, Simon? What are you going to be writing about in the coming days? Nothing. I'm on holiday. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> I can write about my holiday if you want. Uh, holiday in lockdown. I don't think that would be a particularly colourful piece given where we are at this particular yeah, holiday time. In lockdown. I hear your kitchen's lovely this time of year. <laughs> no, it's not. It's never lovely, especially with what I cook. So, uh, yeah, just trying to keep myself entertained. Yeah, I'll be reading what the guys are doing to help me with that. Uh, I've got a, a piece going up earlier this week on what it's like to be a, a club press officer, uh, which features... Um, a manager driving a tractor at a camera crew, um, a Tesco bag full of dirty bras and knickers, and an illegally imported monkey. Now that is what you call a tease. Uh, if you're not an Athletic <laughs> subscriber, that is what's going to make you sign up. You could do so for just a pound a week by heading to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. And my thanks to Dom, to Liam and Simon and producer Adonis, but mainly to you, listener. We'll catch up with you again next week. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.